On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, Tate have always got the good oil, pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, this next half an hour on Sky Sports Radio. As always on a Monday, it's an opportunity for us to hear a bit of the the story behind the name. Now, this next gentleman, I've had the pleasure of sitting beside and working with for a number of years on Sky Racing 1. It was the first time I'd ever met Andrew Martin, and I tell you what... There's so much of his story that I'm looking forward to him sharing with you in this next half an hour. He's a great bloke, and he's on the line. G'day, Marto. Hello, Davo. So when you met me, was it a disappointment, or did I meet the criteria? <laughs> Mate, it was a, a criteria tick, tick, tick. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun working with you and Brass upstairs, and I, I, what I learned about you is that not only are you you know, very professional in what you do on air, but you've also got uh, a very funny side to you, which we'll talk about with, with monologue, etc. later. And it's something that, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know about until I, I met you. And um, it, it's extra, that's an extraordinary little story. But where did it start? Where were you born, mate? I was born in Sydney and spent my first 12 years living in Sydney Central. And then Dad sought a, a change in his life. He grew up on a farm, but he moved into the steel business. And then when I was 12, he goes, I've had enough of the city life. I'm going to the country. So uh, him and mum bought a farm in Bathurst out on the road to Safala. We actually, every time we went into town, we drove past Tyres Park Racecourse, uh, which is, of course, uh, the Bathurst uh, Gallops area. I had some big days on the punt and <laughs> Some big losses on the punt of Tyres Park over the years. And, um, yeah, so I was shipped off to boarding school um, where I did, safe to say, absolutely zero work but had the best time of my life. Okay, so with with going to boarding school and obviously with mum and dad having the, the farm, were they as interested in, in horses or when did, when did the love of horse racing start? No, they weren't. Dad, dad was probably anti-racing if anything but when I went off to boarding school one of my best mates when I was at school was the late Wills Tate whose brother James was a year below us at school and remains one of my best mates in fact James Tate the race caller was best mate, best man at my wedding um, and he is the funniest man on the planet again like he's a he's a total professional when he calls races you get him doing impersonations he is one of the funniest men I have ever met in my life and they introduced me to racing. Of course, they're fa- the family uh, synonymous with racing with a red with a white cap. And they had Inspired at the time, who won the 1984 Golden Slipper, I think it was. Um, and that's where my love of it came from. So you, you're spending a lot of time with them. So were, were mum and dad happy that you were falling in love with this racing game, or were they a bit hesitant? I think the latter, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> because they did get the odd. I, I actually, I mean, it's so many years ago, I can now reveal what I used to do at school. I was the SP bookmaker at school. Um, and they received any number of phone calls from my worried housemaster that um, Marty, as he called me, or Marty, he, he's doing a lot of betting at school and everybody's betting with him. <laughs> I used to have this system where I'd, I'd go down to Parramatta every week and I'd go and steal tab tickets and I'd put them in my study at school. And it was an honesty system. I had this little box with a cutout hole and you stapled... Um, no, you sticky taped your coin to the back of the filled out ticket. It had a little, um, you slotted in the box, which had a lock on it. 
And then at the end of the round, I went through, A, how much money I'd made, and B, what the payout was. And at one stage there, I'd say I was making probably $50 a week. Now, we're talking the mid-1980s. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of money. So Dad's, well, it was it was a three-term school year back then, and Dad's check to me once every term was $30. I was making 50 bucks a week. So <laughs> what, I, were you doing, I, what were you doing with the money? Um, Just collecting it. Collecting it, going to the races. We used to go to... A, <laughs> We had very limited leave. You, you were allowed eight leave sessions a term, and that wasn't a lot. So we used to illegally slip out through the bushland near uh, Lake Parramatta there, and it would spit us out near James Roost Drive, and then we'd walk to Rose Hill without anyone's knowledge, about five of us, and we'd go to Rose Hill, and then we'd, uh, we, we'd walk back to school Sometimes after we had a lager or three while we were at the races, I remember one time <laughs> when I was in year twelve, we'd been we'd been out there and we'd stayed out in the Parramatta area till about ten o'clock at night. And one of my assistant housemasters, who was a former All Black, um, I wasn't very popular with him, and he had got wind that I was out illegally from school. So we had these massive playing fields. There were about nine nine rugby fields all in the one area. And that was my entrance back to where my house was. So I was there. Anyway, he's waiting for me there. It was pitch pitch black. But he had his torch and stuff. And he goes, Martin, Martin, I know it's you. So I've just, I've just absolutely bolted. And this former All Black, I, I still got the vision in my head, looking at him behind me. I was pretty quick when I was at school. I was quite fit. And I was look, I could turn around and I could just see his torch going up and down as he was sprinting out after me. Anyway, I got away from him and uh, ploughed into bed. And he came in and he goes, "I know it was you, Martin. I know it was you, and I know you're out illegally." But somehow I just pretended <laughs> I was asleep and got away with it. But we had so what? much fun down at Rose Hill. We went there the whole time. What 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 was it about the horse? Um, and and I guess the what was it about the races that you were just you know attracted to so much? I'll tell you what it was. Have you ever gone to the races with a first-time race-goer and seen them lose on the punt? It never yes. happened. It's actually really frustrating because subsequent to my introduction to racing, I've introduced a whole heap of new people to racing. And every single time, like I'll do form for five hours, and I go, this thing's a certainty, this thing will win, each way special. And I'll just go, no, nah, I'm going to back this thing because of the name. And they always win first day on the punt. Well, that's what happened to me. And uh, and I won. I thought, geez, why is, it, why is it taking me until I'm 14 to get into this sport? This is too easy. So initially, it was the first win, and then obviously going out to Rose Hill, we used to we used to yard watch, and you know, when the Tate family had runners going, you go over and pat them, and I mean that's it's it's irresistible. They're an irresistible animal, and we had we had a lot of horses on our on our property. And I used to regularly ride those horses. One of them was uh, a horse called Distant Sound, who was an ex-race horse, had one barrier trial at Tyres Park, Bathurst, and finished tailed off. And he was a he was a cunning old thing that used to take me under trees. That was one of his habits. Like he'd be at a gallop and he'd veer off towards trees, and you'd have to get right down in the saddle and right down below his head. Otherwise, he'd knock you off with a tree branch or something. But yeah, did a lot of did a lot of riding and, and you realise when you're riding how competitive the animals are. We used to we used to have an airstrip where the superphosphate plane used to land and we'd, uh, we'd, we'd mow it and then we'd have races. Me and um, other members of my family would have races up there and there was an old quarter horse who was really quick for about 300 metres and I'd ride distant sound who was pretty slow for 300 metres but then he'd quickly overhaul 
the quarter horse, and, and they want to win. Like it's 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 it, they have this really massive competitive spirit horses, and that's when I really started thinking, geez, it's it's you know this is this is a sport that involves competition. The horses themselves want to beat the other horses. Marto, what about uh, so developing this love of, of of racing and 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 obviously you know the the mateship that that's around it. What about at the end of school when decisions had to be made? You wanted to pursue a career in media. Um, not so much. I mean, when I was okay. at school, it was all about sport, and we'd play touch footy fifteen times a week, and I always used to commentate myself playing. Um, and and you know that was always interesting to me, and I I, I was. I was considering a go as a race caller actually when I when I immediately left school, but I called it the Coonabarabran Picnics, and so bad was the call. I did two race calls with a late Bobby Foran actually, who's a lovely bloke, and two worst race calls you have never heard in your life. My memory's never been particularly good. I forgot a horse's name down the straight. It was embarrassing. Thank God it was pre-social media because it would have gone viral for sure. So I realised I didn't have it. So then I went to. It was a pretty easy decision. One of my mates was running a youth hostel in Cairns um, on the Esplanade there. So he said, oh, mate, do you want to come up and help? I said, yeah, twist my arm. So I went up and lived there for a year, and then I got into pubs, actually, after that. And then when did the radio career start? When did the, the career in media start? So you're running pubs. I tell you what, what a life, by the way, um, going up to Cairns with the youth hostel, getting into that hospitality sector. When did the media career game start? Yeah, the media started after that. Um, I ran a, a pub at uh, Kingsford called the Regent Hotel, which is still a thriving little metropolis. We had a lot of racing people went there, a lot of uni students. Um, and then I decided that I, I wanted a change. I was doing extraordinary hours. Like I was doing 85 hours a week. Um, that, that's a long time. If you, it, anyone who's managed a hotel will know that the hours are just horrendous. Um, so I, I, I thought, well, what about this media thing? And I I. I heard that the best way to do it was to go to community radio. And there was a local community station up in Paddington, actually. So I went up there and I introduced myself and I said, do you need anyone? And they said, well, yeah, we, you can come in and do news, if you like, in the breakfast show. So I was getting out of bed three days a week at four o'clock, going and writing news and presenting it at um, Radio Eastern Sydney was the name of the place. And then eventually um, the, the manager there, a guy called Jeff Sciarani, not sure whether he's still in the game or not, actually. But, um, he recommended that I go to the Australian Film, TV and Radio School. So I heeded that advice. It's, uh, for those who don't know about it, it actually was at um, out near Macquarie Uni when I did it, out at North Ride. It subsequently moved into the, um, not far from the SCG. But they take 12 students a year, so it's quite difficult to get into. But if you get into it, it's funded by the commercial radio industry. So basically... You've got a leg up over anyone if you go and complete the course. And at the completion of a six-month full-time course, they send a booklet to every radio station in the country, and it uh, has details of the 12 students. So I got picked up by – most people got a job straight away. I got picked up by Wave FM in Wollongong, which was a great start because they had a national team in the rugby league, the Steelers. They had basketball and soccer teams that were in the national comps as well, and sport was always my love. So it was a great way to iron out the cobwebs before coming back to Sydney. And in those days, you had to... I don't know anyone in that era that came straight into Sydney and got a job at a metro market. Like, you had to go... Probably I was the closest to the metro markets in Wollongong. Most of them were out of Burke and Young, Bathurst, Orange, places like that. Um, So, yeah, you you always had to... 
you had to learn your trade on the bush or provincial scene. And um, back in those days, it was it was typewriters writing out copy, um, cartridges to load up every news story and stuff. It was a very clunky, um, a very clunky system in comparison to now. When did you make the move to Sydney to work for? Is it two, was two UE, wasn't it? I started at two GB actually. Two GB back in those days was not the place to be. It, it was very low in the ratings comparative to now, where it's the number one station, obviously. But um, in those days, it was it was well down the pecking order. Uh, Johnny Harker was doing the sport. Does that name ring a bell for you? No, Johnny it doesn't. Harker. He used to host no. Sports World before your time. I did overnight news there, so I was um, I was getting in there at about ten o'clock at night and rolling through till six o'clock in the morning. I did that for six months. I actually got retrenched um, from that station, and then I applied straight away to TUE and got a job there. They were the number one station, so that was probably my big break um, going to TUE. That was about nineteen ninety three, I think. So, and I had five wonderful years at TUE. After TUE, what happened then? Well. Along came a horse, a fictional horse called Monologue. I left TUE to pursue a dream that I'd always had. Um, when I was at school, I used to do these tapes and, and cut in um, impersonations into grabs from Auntie Dora and Uncle Dick. Long-time listeners will remember them. Uh, they were tipsters on a Saturday morning, so I'd cut little grabs out of them, and I'd, then I'd, 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 I'd have Ian Craig, instead asking a proper question, I'd have Ian Craig asking a ridiculous question and then using Auntie Dora and Uncle Dick to answer it in a straight-laced way and change the whole meaning of it. So I've been doing these tapes for years and um, I'd, I'd advanced those initial tapes to 60-minute productions, which I used to record in my bedroom and stuff. Um, and I, I went and did a... I remember doing a voiceover where I had to be Dennis Cometti for an AFL ad. Um, with a guy called Paul Goodwin, who had a place at Castle Crag, and he he had his own um, production studio and stuff. And he said, "Oh mate, I, I like your impersonations." And and I said, "Well, I can do a lot more." Uh, so I, I I gave him one of my tapes that went for an hour, expecting that he wouldn't hear wouldn't hear from him because he actually had mixed Billy Birmingham's first ever CD um, or tape in those days, of course. Um, and I heard back from him like an hour and a half later. I mean, he hasn't even had the chance to listen to this, has he? He goes, mate, do you want to do a professional version? I said, well, yeah, I do, but I haven't had the the contacts to find someone who's a professional mixer. He said, mate, you got me. You got me. So, for well, I resigned from TUE, stayed till the end of the rugby league season, and then and then and then walked out and backed myself with this project, which um, to this day I'm very proud of, obviously. Um, but it was a, a, a big risk that I couldn't take now with a couple of kids and big mortgages and school fees and the like. But, um, yeah, so for six months, I was in and out of his production studio um, recording this horse, a fictional horse called Monologue, who there was actually a real-life monologue who was raced by a number of my mates, and he was useless. So we, we turned the real-life monologue into a fictional monologue who travelled the world and won everything. Um, and after six months, out came the CD, and it was successful. And we had an absolute ball. And the ensuing 18 months, I was travelling around uh, the country, racetracks, provincial racetracks, doing impersonations at, at gatherings and stuff, and was paying the way and some. It was so much fun. 
Marto, we've got uh, a race coming up at Wagga, and <clears throat> completely coincidentally, one of your best mates, uh, James Tate, is calling this race. Now he's he's watching he's watching the the colours, and as we said before, he's he's the consummate professional. So we were going to get him to jump in, but he wants to focus on the colours. But I, I was going to get you to. Um, to do a uh, some some of those voices, but I'm gonna you don't, you don't have to if you don't want to. But if you've got your tab app there, as we cross to uh, to, to James Tate, could you just give us a bit of a market update as uh, one of the characters? You don't have to if you've got it all planned um, for our, our little section of the interview after. But I remember what? punters as, at, on Sky One in between races. Marto would just produce these voices to myself and Tony Brassel, and we would just be in fits of laughter, like it was unbelievable. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Are we and Craig here at Wagga Powell and race number one looms the three-year-old maiden. Blade Irwin's the favourite for Blake McDougall. Blakey rotting plenty of winners at the moment, as he always has, and he combines here uh, with the James Yard. Two seventy out to three dollars sixty, Rodney, and then back into three dollars and ten cents late. It's attracting very good late support, has Irwin been in the last war for Nicky Hayward. It's from the Haywood Stable as well. $10 this morning into $6. Oh, hello. They've just uh, updated the total. Well, how many times does this happen when I'm on air that they want to change the totalisator uh, fixed odds betting? Oh, by golly, it makes it hard being a race caller trying to do your job. Fair dinkum, boys. Last war, 10 into 6, back to $6.50. Who'd want to be a race caller? I'm sitting up here in a, a vacant broadcast box in the middle of winter with no heater, no televisions, and only the infield semaphore board which wants to uh, play a dipsy doodle on Craigie. We've got uh, Monday's experts uh, continuing here on Sky Sports Radio, and we're chatting with the great man, Andrew Martin. Of course, you'll see Andrew every Saturday and every Wednesday, and a lot of the time on Sky Racing 1, but you'll see him on Saturdays with David Gately and, of course, uh, the great man, Tony Brasselin. Just before we went to uh, to Wagga Wagga, we were talking about monologue and the impersonations and this these characters that uh, we love in the racing game that Marto brought to life. Marto, how was it received, uh, some of these characters? I mean, we, we hear about Billy Birmingham and the 12th man and, say, Tony Gregg really embracing it. Did the, the race callers and other characters, did they appreciate and, and have a laugh? I can't answer that. I, I rang them. I rang, I think I rang everyone that I did prior to releasing it and saying, are you cool with this? And to a man, they said, no problems. Um, I heard whispers that a couple weren't terribly happy with it. Um, there was no offence intended. I'd love someone to impersonate me. It'd mean that I'd made it. Um, they were all racing legends. That's the way that I always saw it anyway, that they were racing legends. It was some, it was attempted humour um, and impersonation is the greatest form of flattery. That's the way that yeah. I looked at it. I hope most of the characters that I did see, saw it the same way. How long did the, the story take to create in terms of that, that CD monologue? It's, it's coming up with the ideas. It's really tricky. Um, so I, I'd, I'd done three of those tapes just at home over the years, and I blended a lot of those ideas together because, of course, no one bar my close mates had heard them. So I had, a, I had a, a stockpile of great ideas, or what I thought were great ideas anyway, but the actual writing of the scripts and stuff, I'd say 12 months um, yeah. to, to fine-tune them, edit them, and it was all written out by hand. I didn't have a computer. Every single script was written out by hand. Nowadays, of course, um, 
computers and, and whatnot uh, will make it a lot easier should I choose to go back down the path which I am going to at some stage. Um, but and, and, and the sales were, were interesting as well. I had a little home office and the only way of buying this was on the telephone. I had to answer every single phone call. And then I had one of those bank card machines, you know, the ones that they used to roll across the credit card? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you had to fill out each and every slip for every single sale, and there were a lot. And there was a one stage where I reckon I, my phone didn't stop for two weeks, quite literally business hours. Every time I'd hang it up, it, it, would, it would lift up. I'd be picking up a new call and a new order. It, it That's went. Awesome. It went sensational early. I mean, that's what's so exciting about the prospect of doing another one down the track is that social media didn't exist. The internet didn't exist. So it, it, it could snowball um, a lot easier than back then. Um, things changed when the great Alan Jones had me on his show for his breakfast show for, for 10 minutes one morning, and that's what sparked it. And he was playing playing clips and stuff. It was for the, for the monologue. Um, thing that was the most valuable thing that ever happened. All right, before I get you to talk and we hear some of these characters, is is that a bit of a little scoop or is that a little? You know, are we going to hear another one of these down the track created by you? Yep, hundred percent. Though um, next year, maybe um, I've, next year uh, I've started ideas and there are many of them, and I've been adding to them, and I've now got the story which I won't tell you. I'll tell you the horse's name will more than likely be Leia Log. We'll take it down into the gutter. Um, <laughs> but the ideas are there, and that's where okay. That's where you need to be. Once well, you've got your ideas, it should be sweet. That's exciting, mate. All right, who is your favourite character? Uh, and when I say character, who was the, the favourite? Who was your favourite racing legend that you, you loved performing? A bloke we lost way too early, Wayne Wilson. Um he was right up there with my favourite broadcasters. He got so excited, sounded like he was in pain in a photo finish. And I remember, you know, the, the most famous of the Wayne Wilson calls for me personally was the 1985 O'Shea Stakes when Rough Habit what turned out to be his last Australian run. He was uh, in questionable form at the time. He'd placed only one of five that prep, was in off an eighth in the Doombin Cup. He was $8. Shane Scriven was in the saddle. 73rd career start, and he was a Queensland legend as they come down to the 300 metres and oppress their heads, fewer chosen. Stay tuned is third from Pendy, and Ralph Habit is angling for a run between them from Desert Chill. 220 metres to go, oppress the leader, but here he comes. Here comes Ralph Habit, the old Kiwi war horse, you little beauty. Keep him going, Shane. Ralph Habit is racing away to win the O'Shea Stakes. Wow, what a win! Rough Abbott beats the press and dead. The chill flashes home into the <laughs> Oh, that is sensational. Um, what about, let, let's give a bit of a repertoire because our listeners, there's plenty on the text line here that are saying, Marto, can you give us a Bill Collins? Ask Marto um, if you can give us a, a Shane Dye, a Shane Dye and, and John Tapp. Mate, take it away. I'll let you, uh, the airwaves are yours, Andrew Martin. Well, thanks very much, Dave. It's John Tapp here. Mate, I listen to your show each and every day and some wonderful stories are told about the thoroughbred sport of kings. My favourite memory was Shane Dye's infamous ride on Beander crossing a Caulfield Cup. Now, Shane elected to take off at about the 1,200 metres and pursue 
a run that no one else wanted, and that was about 12 off the inside <laughs> fence. And he hits the front and races away, and he's nailed right on the stick by the Freedman's Mare in Mannerism. Now, that's one of the worst big race rides I've ever seen. And Shane Dye joins me. That's absolute crap. There's only one way to ride the horse. Every time that you ride the end across, he needs the best going. He needs to wind up into the race. You've got to take off six and seven deep. You've got to go 13 deep on the turn. It's the only way to ride him. They had many a stoush, those two, on the racing show. <laughs> what What about Bill Collins? Oh, Bill Collins, the, the memorable Cox Plate, of course. But the two great New Zealanders have come away on the turn. Our Waverley star, a half length to Bone Crusher. Big Red won't give in. Drought running on. Bone Crusher responds to the whip. The roars of the crowd. He raises up to our Waverley star, a hundred out. Bone Crusher, our Waverley star. Stride for stride, nothing in it. Our Waverley star, the rail. Bone Crusher, the outside. And Bone Crusher races into equine immortality. One and a half million dollars as he photo finishes our Waverley star, the Filbert third. Oh, 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 just the 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 way in which you do it, mate, and just those little tiny bits of detail. Um, I'll tell you one of the, the things that I loved uh, with working with you, mate, and, and sitting there with Brass was just the way in which you would blend these particular voices into everyday conversation. And I'll often remember, you know, being in absolute fits of laughter and um, for our listeners, obviously, you know, it's 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 something that's special that Brass and I have experienced. But if ever you get back out on the road and do a tour with a new album, I'm sure uh, they'll experience it as well um, across New South Wales, etc. But, yeah, just the brilliance. I mean, I remember we were watching a race in, in Brisbane one day and just you just turn on the Wayne Wilson in between races. And it was it's just it's something it's it's a skill, mate. It's a skill, and uh, you should be very proud. You make a lot of people laugh and a lot of people happy, mate. Well, that's good. I'm glad about that. That's um, Hopefully I can make myself laugh a little bit along the way because uh, life's short, right? But, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, and I look up to these guys when I was young, and, and, you know, now I've got to work on a whole heap of new voices because a lot of these guys aren't around anymore. A lot of them are retired. Um, but they were my racing idols, and, and I worked years and years and years um, trying to master them. Hopefully, I've got close to some of them. Obviously, some are better than others, but, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Can you give us some more Wayne Wilson? Just if, we, if Wayne was on the line to us now, and you're 100% right with what you said about Wayne. He was gone far too soon. I remember growing up in Brisbane, and, you know, he was one of the first voices I ever heard, um, you know, through the wireless at my grandfather's place. But if Wayne was on the phone now... Um, do you reckon he'd be pretty uh, pretty chuffed with the winter carnival we just saw? Oh, I love the revamp. Dad, I love the revamp. I think it's been terrific. Um, what a carnival it was. We've unearthed a couple of real spring superstars, haven't we? I mean, how good was incentivising? Zaki. Zaki looks a real big younger, doesn't he? He's the favourite for the Cox Plate. <laughs> oh, stop it. Oh, Mardo. Um, what about working with, on Sky Racing 1 with the great man Tony Brassel? I've had this conversation with you privately and now obviously here now, but I mean, I used to get a big thrill uh, from working with the both of you because I was there sitting in front of the television and then was obviously given a wonderful opportunity and was very lucky. And then 
the fact I got to watch all those big victories of Winks with you guys. We saw Michelle Payne win a Melbourne Cup. Um, we we saw you know a number of the superstars come through. Um, you know, it's a long day. It's an arduous day on Skyway. It's not an easy shift to do in the joint, considering how fast paced and, and busy it is. But gee, we're, we're pretty privileged to um, to have sat there, aren't we? Yeah, uh, and particularly privileged to sit next to Tony Brassel. You'll know what I'm talking about here. Like, it's it's not easy when you work with someone who you admire. It can make it it can make it tricky. You you got this guy on a pedestal. You want him to like you. You like him. You want him to like what you do. And it's and you're different around them early. Um, but he's he's. I tell you what, the biggest professional I think I've ever worked with is Tony Brassel, a guy who prides himself in 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 excellence. He will not cut a corner with any race, no matter where it is, no matter what day it is. He will treat every race the same. Melbourne Cup or, or, or a maiden midweek at Canterbury. Um, and, and it is a privilege to sit next to him. He's, he's, and, I can, and I know you'll say the same thing. Not only is he one of the racing greats, and so is the whole family. It's, it's a, it's the Brassel name synonymous with racing. But he's such a lovely guy. What you see is what you get. He's a terrific fella as well. Uh, I'm sure you'll echo those comments. Yeah, 100% right, mate. It's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Uh, before you go, only and I'm only asking you this, mate, because of the text messages we're receiving, and even the great man Darren Flindell is listening. He's just sent a text saying, this is outstanding. We've got a segment called The Whip Around coming up next on Sky Sports Radio. I might get Ian Craig to uh, throw to a commercial break, wrap this up and head to The Whip Around, which comes up shortly. Is that possible, Ian? Yeah, that's uh, that's fine, Pally. Am I on air? <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, folks, you're listening to Racing HQ. Ian Craig filling in for Dave Stanley. We're off to a break. But other side, folks, all the winners for the day on the whip around. <laughs> 